Welcome to A Reason for Hope, your question connection with the entire Word of God. We would love for you to join in our conversation. Simply follow us on our Facebook page at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you have a question, email or text us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. Now here's your host, pastor, author, and Bible teacher, Scott Richards, along with his right-hand man, Sean Good, Very good afternoon, morning, or evening to you, wherever you may be joining us. Welcome to another edition of A Reason for Hope. I'm Scott Richards, joined here with Sean Richards, and we are here for the next hour to take your questions on God's Word. If you've got a question about the Bible, anywhere from Genesis to Revelation on the table here, maybe it's a favorite verse of yours you'd like to get to know a little bit better. Maybe it's one of those verses that has raised more questions for you than has given you answers. Let's explore those together. Maybe you'd like to find out how to apply God's Word to the current uh, challenges in life that you're facing, or learn to see even the most controversial subjects that come our way from a decidedly biblical point of view. That's what we're here to do each and every day. If you'd like a heavenly heads up about what is to come through biblical prophecy, we'll be happy to uh, explore those issues as well. Uh, Anything on your heart and on your mind, even tough questions, maybe that you've been asked by skeptics or non-believers, or maybe even a tough question about the Bible you've always wanted to ask, but have never found a no harm, no foul, non-judgmental place to get your questions answered. That's what we're here to do each and every day. But we can't do it without you and your questions. Sean, how can people get their questions to us? Well, if you're joining us on Reach Radio, uh, note that, or one of our radio affiliates, note that you can send your questions to us through our email address. The email address is questions, the question is plural, so questions, F-O-R-Hope at gmail.com. It's available for use both on and off the broadcast. It'll keep your questions in a nice, organized format for us. And also note as well, if you send in questions through our social media or our live streaming platforms, and we didn't have time or opportunity to get to your question, maybe it got lost in the mix, feel free to email it to us as well. That will give us the chance to not only make sure it's kept handy, but also revisited if for some reason we aren't able to get questions live. Note as well, if you want to join us online in our live streaming platform, our church website, Calvary, that's C-A-L-V-A-R-Y, ChristianFellowship.com will be available for your use both during and after the broadcast. Click on the Watch Live tab at the top of the screen, and there you'll be sent to where we'll not only be streaming the previous day's broadcast, but if you join us from 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time in the U.S., a live stream of us as well. We also have our biweekly Bible studies going through the Bible. Uh, We are currently, at the time of this recording, going through Revelation on Wednesdays and the Gospel of Luke on Sundays. This close to Easter, it is uh, certainly a fascinating time in the studies that we're doing. With that being said, uh, if you want to join us on that uh, venue, we'll have at the right-hand side of the screen a chat box for you to send in your questions, and we will be reading them as we are live as well as afterwards. If you want to join us on social media, YouTube is A Reason for Hope, and Facebook is Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. However, since we are... uh, Never sure what uh, we're going to get in trouble for next. Uh, We're going to continue speaking the truth in love, and if that's not uh, 
treated as such by those with the authority to silence us. Note that our website will still remain online. If there's a technical malfunction, we'll inform you as soon as we can, but if we're taken down for reasons other than those beyond our control, note you can still join us on our website, and we want to encourage that as the regular means by which you join us. However you choose to engage, though, note that the way we are taking the time to engage with you is by receiving sincere Bible questions. So make sure that all three of those words are a part of your engagement and we'll be happy to deal with them. If it's sincere, if it's a Bible, and it's a question. So yeah. with that being said... Yes, uh, make sure they're offered in the form of a question, like in Jeopardy. Yes, uh, we won't be docs points, but we will unfortunately not be able to give an answer if it's not a question. Uh, we also have some prophecy updates to keep you clued in on. But before we say a single word, we want to include some said to the Lord and make sure he offers some through us as well. Yeah, Absolutely. Father, we thank you that in you are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I thank you, Lord, that in this world where uh, even so-called evangelicals uh, seem to be uh, so caught up in the uh, confusion that comes from trying to uh, look to our own wisdom uh, for guidance and direction, your word just shines even more brightly. Lord, that's what we desire to see happen on this broadcast. Help people to find that solid foundation that we can have by taking a look at your word. Maybe they've even got some questions about how solid a foundation it is. We pray that we might be able to show people uh, just how amazingly preserved and uh, precisely authenticated your word is through uh, archaeology and different means and biblical prophecy. Uh, Lord, what an awesome gift it is, especially this time of year, to know that you love us and that you desire, desire to lead us and guide us. And so we pray that you would do that on this program. Uh, help the questions that we answer, the things we say, to be only uh, those uh, things that you have on your heart and your mind to share with your people. We thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. That is true. All right, so where should our eyes be prophetically? There's certainly a lot of direction we're being given, but where should it be biblically? Yeah, we're working on a, a number of stories. Uh, some things are developing, particularly in the Middle East. As you know, uh, we try to focus in on what our good friend Joel Rosenberg calls the epicenter. That is what's happening in Israel. A lot of uh, terrorist activity happening in Israel, which is not uncommon for this time of year uh, during the so-called holy month of Ramadan. Uh, it does seem that uh, an awful lot of terroristic actions are taking place. Earlier today, a story was run on the Jerusalem Post website about the uh, attack and attempted desecration in Nablus of a site uh, that is known as Joseph's Tomb, where Joseph from the book of Genesis is uh, supposed to be buried. Now, that's not really anything unexpected from uh, the uh, radical Islamic uh, wing of things. When we were in Israel, uh, for instance, so we saw how uh, in uh, the eastern side of Jerusalem, uh, particularly the area round about the Mount of Olives, uh, there are a number of tombs that you can see in the uh, the, the bank that goes up above the Kidron uh, Ravine there. And uh, the sad thing is these tombs, uh, prior to the Jordanians overseeing them, uh, prior to the 67 war, uh, did have uh, inscribed on the uh, tombs individuals that are mentioned, for instance, in the genealogies and the, the descriptions that we find in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra. But uh, the uh, Jordanians, the Waqfa, the, uh, the Muslims that uh, were controlling that particular area went out of their way to try to scratch uh, these names off of these tombs because they felt that it gave credence 
uh, to the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures, and well, we can't have that. So, which is ironic because the Quran also gives credence to the Jewish and Christian scriptures in Surah three, three through four. But that is yeah, it didn't slow them down. <laughs> so anyway, in Nablus, there was a major riot. About a hundred of these um, extremists tried to attack uh, the uh, tomb of Joseph, as they've done before. Uh, we'll be able to tell you just uh, what uh, level of damage there was uh, associated with that. Uh, there are also uh, concerns that, um, as is par for the course during Ramadan, uh, that there will be rocket launches that will be uh, conducted from Gaza at Israel. We are also told that the government of Lebanon to the north of Israel, which is incredibly strategic as far as maintaining the peace in that area, has officially declared that they have gone bankrupt. Uh, they have uh, no more finances. Uh, because of the chaos that has gone on there. As many of you know, the terrorist group Hezbollah uh, tends to operate unimpeded in that area to the, the north of Lebanon. Uh, it does appear that the average Lebanese person is getting tired of seeing what was once called uh, the uh, Riviera of the uh, Middle East, uh, Lebanon and Beirut in particular, uh, reduced really to rubble and chaos because it has been handed over uh, to uh, these terroristic groups. So we may see a backlash against that. We can certainly pray in that direction, uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem going forward. And as we've said, as uh, there are future developments uh, going on, uh, as we told you last week, uh, the Israeli uh, government, as it is currently uh, constituted, is uh, hanging by a thread. It's uh, no longer a uh, majority. It's a 60-60 vote. And all it's really going to take is either one more representative of the Jewish Knesset to defect or uh, someone calling for a vote of no confidence in the government uh, that will cause another election to uh, take place. And who knows what's going to happen through all of that. Uh, we'll keep you posted on those things as they develop uh, the uh, so-called Iran nuclear deal. Uh, now there's a third option uh, that uh, there will be no Iran nuclear deal, and there's a lot of speculation about what will happen in the region if no agreement is reached. And we'll let you know as the week unfolds uh, some more information about that. But till then, as always, we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, we are to uh, keep an eye on things in Israel because that is the most effective way of determining how close we are to the return of Jesus, what's happening in there and what the prophecies in Scripture have to say about Israel going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And let us know if you have any follow-up questions on that. Speaking of current events, i uh, got a question from Johnny and Mary who want to know, now that Disney, uh, for those who aren't aware, it's an American-grown company, international entertainment, but a lot more things as well, has really gone off the rails. Uh, we'll explain what that is if you aren't a clue as to what that means. Is it wrong to go to places like Disneyland? Would supporting something like that mean we're supporting those movements? Uh, help me out. Longtime Disney fan, but willing to drop them in a heartbeat. Yeah, uh, we actually had a conversation about this, my roommate, you and I, yesterday yeah. when yeah. it came to the fine line between profiting from something or being a profit to it. And the issue yeah, is it okay, for instance, for a Christian to uh, 
pay $9 a month for Disney Plus. Yeah, and literally utilizing their services and entertainment, which is what they were founded to do. Uh, when it comes to the area of concern people have, uh, information has, of course, not just been leaked but publicized uh, regarding them unapologetically hiring on the basis of people furthering uh, hedonistic agendas in their entertainment, that the story and the writing has become secondary to a message, and that one, of course, being antithetical to the Christian worldview. So people are concerned, and rightly so, saying, if I'm giving money to this organization, am I aiding in that process or not? And this is one that it has to be done, Johnny and Mary, but also those listening as well, on the basis of two things. First, conscience, and the second, consistency. When it comes to an issue of conscience, if you're feeling convicted about this, you just can't sit right with supporting Disney given their current moves, not only politically but socially and morally, then to your conscience you need to stand or fall. If God's prodding your heart, it's important to remain sensitive to that because any prodding of your conscience, if it's informed by Scripture, will, of course, be a positive one. Sure, and we want to yeah. make sure informed by Scripture is the key. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a scripture that has given me uh, some help in this area, Johnny and Mary. And, you know, I'll share a little bit uh, about some of the steps that I've taken personally as a result of what's going on there. One of the reasons that Disney is in such hot water is that uh, they decided to make a very strong statement against uh, the um, legislation that was passed in Florida. It has been misrepresented in the press as the Don't Say Gay Bill. But all this uh, uh, legislation did, signed by uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, was to say that uh, children from kindergarten through third grade uh, will not be subjected to discussions of sexual issues in class. Now, the two sides of this argument are, for the conservatives, they'd say it is inappropriate for children to be given sex education, especially from those who may be presenting in a deviant way. On the left side, the liberal side of this, they say that you're restricting free speech and the right for teachers to educate your children in any context, which means that the government or any uh, Which is, in my mind, a straw man. Yeah, but we need to make because, sure both sides Because there are all kinds of uh, restrictions and requirements that people will have to adhere to uh, if they are going to receive, say, federal funding. Uh, and uh, be considered a public school, uh, and and it and it plays both ways. You know, for instance, if a uh, school says we're no longer going to teach uh, Darwin's theory of evolution, uh, we're only going to teach uh, intelligent design, you'd get in a heap of trouble uh, because uh, again, people would say, well, you're teaching religion in schools, a religious point of view. Now, whether intelligent design is a religious point of view, is really a problematic uh, assertion to make. And if you'd like to talk a little bit more about that, send us a question, we'll explore it. But uh, there are all kinds of restrictions like that about what teachers can teach and what they can't teach in the public schools. This is not something that's new. And but what whole... is new is the idea that uh, teachers, uh, and as we've seen in social media, even preschool teachers are about the business of uh, of taking class time to teach very graphic, uh, sexually explicit material to kids uh, from kindergarten through third grade. All the Florida law does is say you can't do that. Yeah, and and, 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 and yeah. so, you know, having having said that, uh, the reaction of Disney to that was, oh my goodness, this is wrong. The don't say gay. There, there, there is no. Uh, part of this bill that includes the idea of saying, well, you can't say the word gay 
in in classrooms or restricting free speech. The word gay doesn't even appear in the bill. Right. Homosexuals used, I think, three times. But the point being made is this. We're voicing this so that you have an informed opinion on both sides and that, as you stated, there is good responses to this issue. So Disney decided to wade in and say, oh, well, you know, we're... Uh, definitely opposed to all of that, and uh, we are a, a great uh, supporter uh, financially of uh, political campaigns there, and we will have to reconsider any kind of political contributions uh, as a result of this, quote-unquote, don't say gay bill. Well, you know, when people began to say uh, this it, this was a, a controversial issue, uh, then uh, other uh, executives from Disney, including uh, the grandniece of Walt Disney, uh, made statements that, uh, well, uh, you know, we're going to just, um, again, go out of our way to include uh, sexually uh, explicit conduct in our cartoons and so forth. Uh, people just can't do that to us, and we're going to do what we're going to do. Uh, you know, the uh, the other uh, side of that is that, uh, you know, the Buzz Lightyear movie that is going to come out, uh, his the Pixar people are going to put into the Buzz Lightyear uh, movie a uh, homosexual kiss. And they uh, did the it, same thing with Rise of Skywalker, Episode Nine of the Star Wars films. They did this in Turning Red in regarding the sexualization and the promotion of diverse forms of relationships among children. So if but, you're a Christian and uh, you subscribe to traditional Christian morality about these sort of things, uh, then you're going to have a problem with this company that's saying, well, not only are we going to uh, respond to this politically, but we're going to respond to this by introducing sexually charged conda- uh, content to what we're putting out. So where does that leave us as individuals looking in on Disney? You know, I think there's a really important scripture, not just for this particular controversy, but also for other controversies that inevitably will come up and have come up in the past about these things. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11, we are told, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, there's two really important scriptural principles I think we find here that can help us navigate in these times. People say, oh, we should boycott uh, Disney because of all of this. Well, uh, for my money, quite literally, uh, in my uh, uh, financial stewardship, my stock portfolio, I bought a uh, number of shares of Disney stock because Disney has been a uh, pretty reliable source of uh, continued income for people, uh, strictly from a financial point of view. Well, when this went down, even though Disney stock has been declining quite a bit, and uh, it was certainly at a level that was below where I bought it, I felt compelled, and I'm just sharing you what my point of view is, your mileage may vary, because, because I did not want to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, fellowship indicates partnership. And the idea that I would be profiting financially from a company that was making these kind of moves, to me, as a believer in Christ, uh, took it off the table. And so I sold 
my interest in Disney, and I sold it at a loss uh, because I felt that this was an important uh, line in the sand, if you will, uh, to draw. The other thing that uh, I think we see in here is it says, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Okay, so should we watch Disney content then? Um, well, to me, I think that is a more nuanced argument and certainly is an area of uh, personal uh, decision before the Lord. But I think you've got to keep this scripture in mind about all of this. You know, for instance, when uh, Major League Baseball and basketball and, and uh, a number of the, uh, the professional sports decided uh, not just to not remain politically neutral, in other words, just to be a form of entertainment, but began to promote certain political points of view and even uh, endorse uh, certain uh, moral lifestyles and so forth. You know, I came to a point where I said, you know, I just can't support watching this anymore. And this was a tough call for me because I was raised knee-high to a grasshopper and watching baseball games and sports were always on. And, you know, depending on what time of year it was, we'd be interested in certain teams and so on. But I thought to myself, you know, this is so stumbling to me personally. I, and I use the word personally, I decided, you know, I'm not going to watch baseball games anymore. I'm not going to watch pro football games anymore. Uh, I'm not going to watch pro hockey anymore. And, you know, I've been a big L.A. Kings fan for uh, a number of years. Uh, you know, I'm not going to take my time and watch these things. And you know what I discovered? Here's what I discovered by making this decision. I was able to redeem the time in my life in a wonderful way. Instead of, say, coming home from church at uh, you know the end of a day and turning on a game and watching a game for no other reason than it was on, right? Not because I really cared about the outcome or anything else. Um, I, I suddenly found a, a remarkable thing. I freed up three hours of my time for more productive endeavors. In, in other words, instead of just being this passive couch potato watching other people uh, uh, exercise on a, uh, a particular venue, uh, you know, I found that I had more time, for instance, to go out and enjoy an activity that I would enjoy, like uh, go out and, uh, you know, hit some golf balls, or I would go for a run, or, uh, you know, I would, uh, you know, do, do some kind of a workout, or, or spend some time uh, even beyond all of that, uh, you know, even removing it from the avenue of sports, just being able to spend time with my family and encouraging them and so on. This was redeeming the time. And I realized that uh, the chunk of time I was spending and, you know, let's face it, you know, baseball, watching it passively on TV, your mileage may vary, but man, you know, it's a long game and not a lot happens and you have to wait for the big inning to take place and so on. Uh, you know, I just found that uh, my life was much more full. You know, if I wanted to be involved with baseball, go down and play softball with some people. Go actually uh, be a part of something and, and, and be active in something. Far more entertaining than just watching some other people do it. Now, you know, there are certain things that I will still watch on TV because I don't feel like I'm being overtly preached at. Uh, loved watching the Masters Golf Tournament uh, over the weekend. Uh, no political, uh, spiritual, moral preaching going on there. Uh, you know, I, I thought that was great. 
you know, the uh, you know college sports, watching the NCAA uh, basketball tournament, although some uh, people were trying to squeak in their little agendas around the corner. By and large, I was able to watch those things and be able to enjoy them from a point of view of just entertainment. So, so back to Scripture. Yeah. Right. So the, the bottom line is this. Two things to keep in mind. You know, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. You know, if you're going to watch Disney+, Plus, then you've got to say to yourself, do I really want to watch certain programs that are custom-designed to promote a certain lifestyle. Now, if you go on Disney Plus and watch Jungle Book, the cartoon version, or, you know, you watch Mary Poppins or something that you watched growing up or The Sound of Music, some movie like that, well, then I don't think you're doing anything wrong. But if you cross over those lines and start uh, taking in some of the stuff that is intended to be propaganda propagandistic content. Well, you know, I think you've got to exercise some discernment there. The other thing is this, ask yourself this question. How much time do you spend staring at that screen, watching other people do something with their lives as opposed to doing something with your life? And if you keep that, those principles in mind, I think you're going to be able to navigate that, Johnny and Mary. Anything you'd add to that? Yeah, just clarifying the first term was about conscience, that to your own master you stand or fall. But the second is consistency. If I'm going to separate myself, I'm not going to have fellowship with these works on the basis of their association with other things. My roommate brought this up, and we, I'm sure, would all agree. It's been uh, repeated before a long time. Uh, by other ministries as well. We won't mention the names, but note the point. Uh, where does that stop? Because I'm sure if you dig deep, uh, I guess uh, dive into the rabbit hole far enough, you're going to find that there's uh, spider webs interlocking all of these woke agendas and probably uh, you know a lot more deviant things than you ever thought you'd give credence to in every single asset of media, entertainment, and even fuel or energy. Does that mean that you go you know full Amish on us and uh, say, well, I can't do electricity and gas because they support these causes? That, of course, would be nonsensical. Can I, can I not go to Walmart because I disagree with Walmart's uh investment of uh, some of their profits in certain causes. And this is where it becomes a lot simpler than, oh, well, what what exactly uh, are the scriptures view on this? Uh, no, our attention span almost can serve a lot more of a solid cause than we realize, because the good news is, while there is certainly a downtick in Disney's moral stance, along with it has come their capacity to write good stories. Uh, I don't watch those films not because I'm necessarily repulsed by the content they're putting out within them. I don't watch them because they're not fun. <laughs> yeah. there, there's no message. I love doing Bible studies on the biblical themes and relevance of TV shows and so forth and movies. And I've done some Disney films, but others I haven't. Why? Because there's just no message there. People ask me, well, have you seen this? I say, no, I don't want to. And that almost on its own can be its own barometer. Am I using entertainment for its purpose, to be entertaining? Am I redeeming it, as Second Timothy or First uh, Timothy chapter 2 says, through the word of God in prayer? Then I can even make things that the world would use for other purposes, maybe even stumbling purposes to some people, as an opportunity to witness, to be in the word itself. You saw when uh, uh, Generation 4 of My Little Pony was out, every Saturday I was there watching it, but 
what was I also doing at the same time? I had my nose in my Bible. I was looking up references uh, when they uh, were showing films in the theaters. Right. Yeah. There, there were three kinds of people in the theater, and I love telling the story. There were, you know, the it was a My Little Pony movie, obviously. So you got the little girls with their moms, who generally the chosen demographic. There was the brony community, uh, bro, pony fans and stuff. They uh, be adult males and, uh, you know, in that sort of demographic wearing paraphernalia like it was an anime convention. And then there was this one pastor who was had his bible out on one knee and was scribbling down notes and looking up references <laughs> and i'm sure it asked questions but the point we made is that what are you getting out of it are you wasting time well in a neutral sense that isn't necessarily anything wrong but it's not right either it's not bringing me closer to god is it drawing you away from him then on your conscience you stand but make sure you're consistent with that and say by giving money or by earning money there is a difference yeah. uh, with those organizations there is a difference between fellowship and just utilizing a good resource because there are things that disney is still putting out that could be biblically relevant that aren't necessarily in these fields use your own desire for entertainment as a metric the final and most important point in this is just are you actually getting something out of this because uh you know loyalty for a long time disney has put out good stuff they put out bad stuff too and the market has decided which ones were better and they're continuing to do so now note they'll still put out the woke stuff they'll still continue to push their agenda but when it comes down to it as we saw in the 30 plus percent stock drop that a lot of people are checking their conscience about this and that's what we encourage for you to do as well yeah and uh, you know the other thing that i would just to add to this is uh, there are also some articles that I've read on uh, westernjournal.com and others about uh, individuals who work for Disney that do subscribe to uh, Judeo-Christian values who've tried to make their side of things uh, uh, visible to the uh, leadership and the management of Disney. So not everybody that you support when you turn on a Disney program or things like this is someone that necessarily goes along with all of those things. Uh, interesting comment from Yari uh, about uh, he would love to, say, uh, join Lucasfilm uh, to witness to them if it was God's will. Uh, you know, again, I've um, been involved uh, with some good friends at a church in Sacramento called The Warehouse, and one of their uh, real uh, emphasis, uh, points of emphasis in ministry is to try to encourage born-again Christians to be involved with uh, the mass media, to be able to pursue with excellence the ability to be able to share a Christian worldview in that particular environment. So, uh, you know, we don't want to, as the Apostle Paul, uh, have to go out of the world we don't want to become isolated and unable to impact the world, but we certainly don't want to be influenced by the world or promote things, uh, benefit from things that are obviously not pleasing in the eyes of our Lord. Pray about it, ask for wisdom, and the Lord will give you that guidance. Let us know if that helps you out. Now, um, got a question, but we're going to need further clarification than simply what's been provided. The question is regarding the statement, all of Israel will be saved. However, that's... Um, kind of a broad statement that's used in a few contexts. Generally, when people are referencing this, the question is, does that mean every Jew will be saved? And this is regarding a few passages. We want to narrow it down. I, I think I can narrow it down a little bit for, for you there. Uh, usually when this comes up, 
uh, it's a reference to Romans chapter 11 and verse 25, where we read, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Uh, There are those who will say that because of this, if you are a genetic son or daughter of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're in. Uh, That uh, God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and because he made a promise to them, uh, because of that, uh, every Jewish person who has that genetic link to uh, to uh, uh, the uh, the ancestry there, then uh, they're going to uh, again uh, make it in. Well, a couple of scriptures I think give us some insight as to what Paul said when he says all Israel will be saved. Uh, it doesn't mean that every Jewish person is going to be saved just because they have this genetic endowment. How do we know this? Luke chapter 2 and verse 7 uh, speaks of the ministry of John the Baptist, who was a thoroughgoing Jewish man himself. And he said this, Then he said to the multitude that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, and these are all Jewish people who were coming to be baptized by him, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So from this, I think we can clearly say that uh, anybody who puts their faith and trust in their genetic endowment, in their genealogy, is barking up the wrong tree. And plus, even in the passage itself, um, in Romans 11, again, it says, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written. And he goes on to quote a passage from the Old Testament. Now, that passage actually would exclude that interpretation. This is in Isaiah 59 and verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob. It doesn't just say those in Jacob. Right. It says those who turn from transgression, says the Lord. And then it goes on to note the passage he quotes. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor the mouth of your descendants' descendants from this time forevermore. So again, he makes that point of emphasis. He hasn't given up on Israel. His promises are irrevocable. We can go to the book of Jeremiah where he makes the point, hey, if uh, the sun doesn't come out tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> bet your bottom My covenant dollar, with, right? the, with the moon and the sun can yeah. be broken. So, yeah. so he's doubling down on this. But if we note, and this is key when someone says, well, what does this mean? And they give like a third of a sentence out of a passage. The first thing that we want to encourage, not just for our help in answering the question, but almost as an answer to the question of itself, Where is that passage? Give us chapter and verse, because you'll find if you read it and what it references, it can actually give you a reference if you literally just finish the verse that it's quoting to those who turn from transgression in Jacob. So obviously God's going to do a work of salvation in Israel, but that's been limited, not entirely. We see Messianic Jews growing 
more than any other demographic as far as a percentage to salvation in their Messiah than anyone else on the planet. But if we're asked the question, so does that mean that genetics determine salvation like the black Hebrew Israelites or the Anglo-Israel movements would claim? Absolutely not, and you'll need to read the passage to know that. Yeah, and you know, when we just take a look at the plain teaching of Scripture, for someone to say that everyone who is just Jewish in their background is going to be saved on the basis of all of this, well, in Acts chapter 2, a thoroughgoing Jewish man by the name of Simon Peter, uh, after preaching the gospel and telling about Jesus rising from the dead, said this, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. In other words, there were going to be people that got it and people that didn't. Yeah, it says several it, thousand were saved that day, but there were more than that present. Right, and so those who turned to God and uh, accept Jesus, who was Jewish, who is the promised Jewish Messiah, who believe in his fulfillment of the Jewish sacrificial system, uh, the Passover Seder. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Whoever puts their trust in him uh, is going to be saved. But when Peter addressed, be saved from this perverse generation, he's saying it's Right now, doesn't matter what your genes are. Doesn't matter who your great 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 grandpappy was. What matters is you're in the midst of a perverse generation that has crucified their Messiah. You need to be saved from that. And people responded to that that invitation, and so they were saved. Romans chapter one, uh, the Apostle Paul said this: "For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first." And also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, when it says for the Jew first, what it means is the Jewish people are in a privileged position in that they've had front row center seats for God's work in this world. They've received the message of God through their prophets. They have uh, had the opportunity for Jesus, the Messiah, to be born among them to live a sinless life, to die on a cross and rise from the dead. They have an incredible blessing, even from their background, that they learn knee-high to a grasshopper, to prepare to receive them, uh, for them to receive this salvation. But it doesn't mean in this passage, just because they are at an advantage in every way. Uh, the only thing that, that is going to tell the tale is if they take advantage of those advantages in every way, and yeah, receive uh, Jesus as their Messiah. Now, Romans chapter 11 seems to indicate that uh, when God is done dealing with this world through this mixed bag of largely Gentiles, but Jewish people as well, that we call the church, when he is done with this, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then all Israel will be saved. What is being uh, spoken of there is the fact that the final seven-year period of time that God is going to deal with the world through the Jews, prophesied in the book of Daniel, is going to be fulfilled. And during the seven-year period that we would call the tribulation period, it's going to be a time of great darkness, but also of great light. It's going to be a time where a lot of people are deceived and led astray, but we also see in the book of Revelation, there are going to be people from every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe who are going to come to know the Lord. How? Through two very Jewish uh, avenues. First of all, the 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel are going to be set aside and anointed by God and are going to have this worldwide impact. Revelation chapter 7. We see two very Jewish 
prophets in Revelation chapter 11 coming on the scene and having a worldwide impact. Now, we could throw in an angel that flies through midheaven and preaches an everlasting gospel. That'll be after the deaths of the 144,000 and the two witnesses. But understand something. Uh, We see that when uh, God delivers the people of Israel, the midway point of the tribulation period, from this Russian-led invasion we see in Ezekiel 38 and 39, a massive amount of Jewish people are going to turn to faith in the true and living God. They are not going to believe in the Antichrist, and they are going to suffer tremendously as a result of all of this. God is going to preserve a number of them, but two-thirds of them, according to the book of Zechariah, are going to end up paying for their faith with their lives. The good news is they'll spend eternity with God at that particular time. So when the Bible speaks about all Israel is going to be saved, it's speaking of that prophetic fulfillment that is yet in the future. It is not saying that the Jews have a separate deal with God. All right. Um, Here's a question from David who wants to know, uh, him and a friend were looking up what Christian science believes, and uh, the six tenets seem to spell it out. Some were confusing, but he couldn't tell if it was just a false doctrine or not unless he looked it up through people he trusted. But uh, he wants to know, were the tenets purposely worded to deceive people, or did he miss something? Uh, I always hesitate to attribute motive like that, but given that Christian science is a verifiable bona fide cult, I wouldn't either. It's neither Christian nor science. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I would note it could be both in the sense that they were being deceptive to kind of play loose with words to avoid accountability and at the same time were uh, just so vague in their understanding that it just wasn't clear what's being said. This is from ChristianScience.com. We'll read through the tenets and uh, just take it point by point. As adherents of truth, we take the inspired word of the Bible as our sufficient guide to eternal life. Now, much like with the Mormons that we talk to, it isn't necessarily deceptive for them to say those words, but mean some very different things. When we're talking about uh, the term eternal life, what do we mean as Christians? Well, we believe that uh, we are going to spend eternity in a relationship with God. This uh, is eternal life yeah. that they believe <laughs> in the name yeah, of the John John 17:3 this is eternal life that they may know you the true and living God and Jesus Christ the one you've sent Now, interestingly enough, there are things that Christian science teaches, and you can look this up in Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures by Mary Baker Eddy. She was the founder of Christian science uh, that would fundamentally deny Jesus's interpretation of eternal life. So obviously there's either a lack of information or misinformation going on there. We acknowledge and adore, this is their second tenet, one supreme and infinite God. We acknowledge his Son, one Christ, the Holy Ghost, or divine comforter, and man in God's image and likeness. So notice, they acknowledge and adore, and man is thrown in there, but do you notice that they went out of their way not to use the word Trinity? Now, normally, when we look up... uh, distinctives in ministry. Sometimes they'll just be clear. We believe in the oneness of God and the uh, triune nature of him. Sometimes they don't have to use the word Trinity, but is it significant that the uh, science and health with key to the scriptures would fundamentally deny the Trinity as polytheistic? That is important to note. Yeah, they deny, very important. They yeah. deny non-negotiable. This is the third one that uh, even you, David, found weird. We acknowledge God's forgiveness of sin in the destruction of sin and the spiritual under understanding that casts out evil, note this, as unreal, but the belief in sin is punished so long as the belief lasts. Now, this is where we get into New Age territory that would put Christian science as far away from Christianity as we would from this 
Bardcast location in Shanghai, China. I mean, this will be on the other side of the planet. Right. We're talking about a idea of evil, sin, and just corruption in general, not as a thing. And we don't mean that as like it's a misunderstanding. It's, yeah. it's an illusion. Yeah, yeah, that we only believe something, or there is only something that's evil because we believe it's evil. And if we stop believing that things are bad or wrong, then suddenly they become the way they were always supposed to. Yeah, it's the same paradigm they use for their uh, their practitioners. Uh, they say, well, you know, you're not really sick. You just believe you're sick. And this has moral connotations as well, because if you say, well, that's a lie and lying's wrong. No, I just said lying's wrong. I'm doing this because I want to be an encouragement to people. You see the problem. Uh, it's, once again, the idea that our perception of things molds reality, not the other way around. Uh, fourth, we acknowledge Jesus' atonement as the evidence of divine efficacious love. There's a fun word. Unfolding man's unity with God through Christ Jesus, the way shower. I love these titles. And we acknowledge that man is saved through Christ. Saved from what? We'll get to that in a second. Through truth, life, and love as demonstrated by the Galilean prophet in healing the sick and overcoming sin and death. Now notice it uh, goes out of its way not to say through his death, right, overcame sin. We'll talk about that in their fifth tenet in a second. But what's interesting as well is not only is there a follow-up denial of the idea of sin being a thing, but that Jesus isn't divine, that he is the way shower, that he is the Galilean prophet, that they're emphasizing this form of Jesus as just a good teacher who showed us how we ought to perceive things, that we should have evidence of divine, efficacious love, unfolding man's unity with God. But notice, this is not the message, or this is the message, not the reality. They make a distinction. The fifth, we acknowledge that the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection, notice, any word about his death? No. Or burial? No. First Corinthians 15, verse 3, got it wrong? Yeah. No, no, at this yeah. point. Two, and this is fun, serve to uplift faith, to understand eternal life, even the allness of soul, spirit, and the nothingness of matter. Yeah. Now what this in is, the emperor's name is going on there? <laughs> well, this is, this is really the, the tenet of it. Christian science believe that everything we see around us is spiritual. It's not material. If we think that something is material and physical, that's part of our illusion that we need to be delivered from. And you can see the overhang of Eastern mysticism there. Uh, you know, the idea that there is no physical reality, but it's merely a question of perception, is really where you start to get involved with Christian uh, science uh, practitioners. Uh, they believe that you should uh, pray to have your illusions lifted. Uh, rather than, say, seek medical advice if you're sick. They would even identify God as the mind in of itself. That's yeah. in Science and Health. Yeah. Now, we also note this point as well. When they're talking about Jesus just being crucified but not dying, uh, we once again don't want to say, oh, we're, we're mincing words or we're misrepresenting them. Uh, understand, you can look this up in Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, Chapter 45, verse 32 through 46 and verse 3, it is a lengthy dismissal and refutation of the idea that Jesus was ever killed, that he died. And we need to understand that as a fundamental aspect of the gospel, that Jesus first died, 
for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, and then rose again from the third day according to the scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4. Yeah. But if we note this as something that Christian science denies, you ain't Christian, and that's not scientific. Yeah, and, and there's no, you know, well, I think we can agree to disagree on that. No. Either Jesus died for us or he did not. And for what reason? Something yeah. that doesn't exist or something that does? Yeah. And then the sixth one is we solemnly promise to watch and pray first passage taken out of context, for that mind to be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, another passage, to do unto others as we just have them do unto us, to be just, merciful, and pure. So three passages referenced and kind of hodgepodge together. Now there's one thing in saying that these thoughts all flow together, but these are actually three conflicting ideas in their tenets. Uh, We solemnly promise to watch and pray. Now watch and pray. What was that passage from? That was an exhortation for us to look for the coming and appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that's a problem if you deny that Jesus is our God and Savior because he didn't save us from anything. Well, and also uh, the first time we see those uh, uh, particular uh, words used were Jesus' advice to uh, his command to his disciples as he went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Non-existent? Not uh, an endorsement of the idea that, well, you guys got a few illusions there, and we want to help you with that. Uh, Pray for the mind to be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's a reference to uh, Philippians chapter 2, and noting not that we should pray that we should be just, merciful, and pure, but it was describing the status of Christ as God, who being in the form of God did not consider himself robbery to be equal with God, but right. made himself of no reputation. It's hilarious how in their tenets they quote verses that refute their assumptions. And then finally, to do unto others as we'd have them do unto us. That is, of course, a teaching of Jesus, but that's not a tenet. Uh, we aren't saved because we are just, merciful, and pure. This is what God expects of us, as Micah chapter 6 and verse 7 would note. But understand this. You see the behavior of cults to kind of just use that bible language while that's not actually a, what the Bible says or what they present it to be. And, and I know that uh, for many of you out there, you're going, well, you know, it just seems like a lot of doctrine and, and so on. Uh, what are the practical implications yes. of this? Uh, practically, uh, someone who believes this, can really find themselves in a very difficult place. There was a situation that we were involved with where uh, a friend of ours came down with cancer, came from a Christian science background, and uh, because uh, they, the uh, wife, who was a good friend of ours, encouraged this fellow uh, to pursue uh, the chemotherapy and radiation for his cancer, which had spread, uh, his parents, who were Christian scientists, ended up blaming his death upon our friend uh, because uh, they said it was the chemotherapy and the radiation that killed him. If he had just uh, stuck to Christian science practitioner, he would have been fine. Well, you can see where the pain and, and the, uh, the, the destructiveness of this particular doctrine comes home to roost. It's not just, well, they, they don't believe in uh, you know, material things, la-di-da. Well, you know, when someone says that, if you don't believe matter matters, go out on the freeway and prove it. Uh, it just doesn't line up with reality. But where it really comes home to roost is those situations where people ardently and adamantly believe this and end up promoting suffering and denying people uh, potential life-saving uh, uh, interventions uh, because of these kind of beliefs. So it really does matter 
uh, what you believe uh, about matter. So, hey, uh, here's one that, that is kind of interesting. Uh, we got a, a question about this earlier. Uh, a, a person uh, who wanted to remain an anonymous said that they heard an evangelical pastor and were referred to a conference that went on that said that uh, there is a new member of the Trinity called Sophia or Wisdom. What do we say about this? And can an evangelical Christian believe this? They referred to the reimagining conference that was held in Minnesota in 1993. Uh, So is Wisdom... Uh, something that we can look upon as another member of the Trinity. One of the scriptures that gets pointed out uh, to support this point of view is Proverbs chapter 8, beginning at verse 12, where it says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength by me. Kings reign. And rulers decree justice by me, princes rule and nobles and all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the path of justice, and it goes on. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting from the beginning before there was ever an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, uh, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses will point this out as a picture of Jesus being uh, not eternally preexistent, but created. They will say that this is a prophecy of Jesus. And some Christians I've seen have said this is prophetic uh, about Jesus being the embodiment of wisdom. Where's, yeah, they, where's the fault and the flaw in all of that? Well, it's the same misunderstanding in the false association. We'll get into the category of book that's referencing in a second, but to their credit, they're at least taking our method and running with it. When we say Jesus is God, we don't look to a passage where Jesus says, I am God. We identify Jesus because he said the sort of things only God can truly say about himself. In right. this case, creator and existing eternally. Now, when Jesus made the statement and what's later taught about him. Uh, Colossians probably the most direct in in Revelation as well. Um, Through him, uh, all things were created and consist, right? Right. So noting this point, if we cross-reference not only Proverbs 8, but Proverbs 3 and verse 19, it says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down the dew. So we It didn't see, say a separate member of the Trinity called wisdom did those things, but, there, but that the Lord acted with wisdom. And we'll clarify that as the proper way to handle it in a moment. But noting the point, they'd say, well, Jesus fits in there because it's says, by Jesus, he created the heavens. Jesus, as the wellspring of wisdom, notes this divine trait. So which is it? Are you going to ignore passages that describe Jesus' creation, but accept passages that give him divine association? That's why you got to be like us. We're henotheists, not monotheists or Trinitarians. What does the word henotheist mean? Meaning there's many gods, lowercase g's, but we acknowledge the one big G god is Jehovah. Okay. Uh, but, you got to uh, know your terms. Yeah. yeah but uh, with all that being said, um, let's first just 
tack this down to its root. If I look at the book of Proverbs, the Bible is categorized into three types of literature. The first is history. We get that from Genesis all the way to the book of, uh, I believe, um, Esther. Uh, That would be a chronological event to event. This is what happened. Right. Now, in Job, suddenly, we've gone from post-Babylonian exile back to around the time of Abraham in Genesis territory. What happened? Well, we haven't gone out of order. We've gone into a new category. The same is true when you finish Song of Solomon and you go into Isaiah. Why are we back in the middle of 1 Kings? Because it's in a new category. In the uh, Jewish scriptures, the ones who wrote the book might have an idea of what it was. Uh, they start. They describe their Old Testament as the Tanakh. The T-A is shorthand for Torah or law. That would be the history. Then they have the K-H, which is the what? K- uh, Kathuvim. Kathuvim, yeah. which is, interestingly enough, the writings. We'll get to its significance in a moment because it's my punchline. The third is the Nevavim, or the yeah. uh, you know, the, 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 Nevavim, the, the prophets. Yeah. Uh, so that would be Isaiah all the way through Malachi. Now, the middle section, the writings, it can sometimes include the history, but what category of literature is that? It is history? No. It is prophecy? No. It's wisdom. It's poetry. It's expressive language used to illustrate these finer points. Now, what's important to note about this, and we're going through Proverbs with our junior high and high school ministry as well, before we discuss anything, I ask them a question. What type of proverb is this? Is this a couplet? Is it comparing and contrasting two themes? Is this a parable? Is it an illustrative story? Or is it personification? To Ah. personify, to give non-human things human traits so that we better grasp them. This is easily done with God because God's not a person in a human sense, right? right? But if we give him human traits like eyes, then we say, oh, so he sees things. God isn't a being composed of eyeballs, but when Proverbs says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, we get that he's not an eyeball monster. He sees everything. Right. So if I then take that style of literature. Eyeball monster. I have memes to illustrate this. If I then take a step back and go, okay, that's rational. If I then say the Lord by wisdom founded the earth, or it says I was with the Lord from the beginning. Well, what does that mean? That either means that wisdom is an entity, Sophia means wisdom, right. or it means that God did things wisely, right? which is more rational, to disregard sound scripture or to rationalize it with others. So yeah. that's why we would say that that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, again, uh, there are those who try to promote Sophia as a fourth member of the Trinity. They go that far. It's really important for us to be able to know how to respond to these things because it's getting popular. All right, thank you all for listening. We'll get to your questions and more tomorrow. Till then, God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.